Welcome to Adequate, the Sunday Company After Show, live from the Regal Beagle. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Adequate, the Sunco After Show. This is episode seven, I believe. Uh, and with me at the table, I've got two Sunco After Show virgins oh. popping uh, their cherries here with us uh, today. And we've got to my right the great, the wonderful, the only Colby. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, everybody. As it is right, we have Steve. Um, oh, hi. Sorry, just pulling a little bit of uh, that main stage, main stage uh, lore that they do every time that they introduce the captains on stage. They always do the super introduction for the first captain, give all the descriptors you want under the sun, and then all of a sudden, for the second guy, or woman, just the name. Because why not? Well, I find that the second guy usually doesn't need an introduction because everyone knows how amazing he is. And, uh, way to stroke your own ego. It's all good. Self-esteem is important. It is, it is. Uh, so, just a quick rundown. It is adequate, and uh, today is the Sunco After Show. We did have a show today, although it was right up until about 6.30. We still weren't even sure if we were going to have a show. Uh, turns uh, out we had well, a It's great. technically 9.26, and we're, not, we're still not sure if we did a show tonight. <laughs> there were bodies yeah, in the theater. There were. There was an audience. There was an audience, and there were whistles and music, and... People bought concessions, so technically, I guess we had a show. But today's show was a bit rough. Uh, rumor has it they had to make a second round of popcorn. We did. I actually had. I made the second round of popcorn. That, it's not a euphemism, right? You actually made popcorn. Yeah, no, I actually made popcorn. So yeah. very, very popcorn enthusiastic audience. Yeah, one guy bought three. There was like three people in the audience. So everybody had popcorn. Everybody had popcorn. <laughs> But yeah, so tonight's show, we had uh, Keely as the host, awesome energy, killed it, and we had an, a solid set of cast members, but I think, and circling back to something that we always have to talk about in improv specifically, but just in general, any performance art that has to do with acting, is listening. What? I feel like, exactly. Um, I feel like tonight, we, we struggled with that. I mean, there was a lot of uh, stepping over each other, and... Uh, a lot of denials that we saw as well, sure. I feel. But at the same time, a lot of those could have been saved just by listening. Sure. I mean, improv's weird like that, right? Like, you have to you have to be ready to, like, go for it, like, all the way, or be ready to be taken for a ride, and that could change on a dime at any moment. Yep. So it's like, you have to listen, but you also have to make a statement and, like, have a purpose or, like, a point of view. But at the same time, that could all be washed away in an instant. So it's an interesting dynamic. I kind of call it um, like double Dutch feet. Like, you ever, yeah, you just like, you don't, you're like, your body tells you to go, but your feet tell you to stay. Like, it's this weird dynamic. It's fun. It's like my body is telling me no, but my feet's telling me yeah. Yes, exactly, Steve. Anytime you can make anything about R. Kelly, I think it's a good way to go. <laughs> um. Hold on, I'm not getting you on the mic. Uh, are we starting over? Hold on, go ahead. Hello? Am I okay. back? Yeah, you're back now. Right. I don't know what happened. Right. The mic's back. Yeah, the mic's back. So we, we lost a little bit of steam there, uh, but I think we'll be fine. There's, there's a great R. Kelly diatribe. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, circling back to it, we did have a lot of missed opportunities in terms of, of the denials that we had today. Sure. And listening is very important. And in particular, I think there was even... 
listening that we heard incorrectly, and, and one example deals with actually both of you guys and, and Andrea, who actually just left, Yep. Uh, specifically with the name of Gerald versus Carol and who really was that individual, and I think it was misinterpreted by Andrea, and then that misinterpretation was then misinterpreted by you, Steve, um, and that led to a little bit of confusion, and that's one of the biggest items that we always want to ensure that we we can handle is circling back realizing where everyone is who everyone is how we feel about each other like the full character development i think uh, matt summarized it pretty well he pointed out that someone had initially called me carol and then i guess andrea had her gerald and called me gerald and i had thought carol was colby's character in the scene so a couple uh scene iterations later i came out and i was like hey carol's got it in for you and that threw Andrea off because she was under the pressure that I was Carol based on that miscommunication. So, you know, um, maybe focus on having very unique names and scenes, trying to avoid that. Yeah, more unique. But I think, too, it's also just kind of like just going with it. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I was like, I thought you were so-and-so. Like, that totally pumps the brakes on the scene and also makes the audience be like... Because they don't, I don't know. Well, now they're confused, and, and they don't know what's real and what's not. Because yeah. if we're, we're yeah. supposed to know what's going on, and we're if the, we don't, yeah. the we're this like, I went, smartest people in the room probably is giving us too much credit, but we're in control. As as players on stage, like we always have to be in control, and so when you don't, when you like get cold feet or when you get uneasy, and the audience tends to. Uh, Abandon the confidence quickly. Yes, and I think that's and we obviously experienced it tonight. Excuse me, uh, where we lost the audience a couple times tonight, and I think it was because we just didn't own it. Well, I think it's not just that we lost the audience a couple times tonight. Absolutely true, but I think there's always that opportunity to bring them back in, and I think today's failure, if you want to call it that, was that we weren't able to pull them lesson. back in. We'll call it a lesson. Today's lesson. Yeah. <laughs> Boys and girls is about bringing the audience back in and not losing them forever. Uh, we lost them during the documentage. I think that's that's pretty much where it went downhill. And, and the thing about that is, I feel like historically as a team, when we feel like we're losing the audience, we do one of two things: we either just go to crazy town, yeah. and everyone's like, "Oh my god, my cows are being abducted by alien clowns," or we just kind of shrink down and lower our energy to match the level of the audience and in today I think we definitely did the second version of that, the latter where we kind of got quieter and a little bit slower and that's the exact opposite of what you want to do. If you're not getting the energy from the crowd, you want to feed that into them. And I think being a smaller audience and having that energy go down is probably what allowed for the team to lose the energy as well because if it had been a larger audience you're still motivated. And you may lose a couple people here and there, but all in all, you probably have a few people you know, going in for you at the end. But if it's a small audience, it's difficult. And it's unfortunate, but tonight was probably the smallest audience we've had in months. But I think, too, it's about, I mean, being comfortable in your own skin. I think a lot of times we... I mean, clinically, all of us are crazy because we try to get up on stage once a week and make strangers laugh, which is... Some form of mental disorder, probably. It's it's probably it's not rational. It's we're definitely looking, not rational. Yeah, it's not. We're but, looking for we're looking for approval. Well, and that's and I think you hit it right there on the nail, Christian. Is that you? You get up there and you need positive reinforcement or you need feedback to confirm that you're doing what you're doing is right. And in reality, 
you know, obviously didn't get it from the audience, but I think our issue tonight was we never we didn't get it from each other. Yeah, and, and we made a change as a team, and I think it was kind of subtle, but actually I really, I really love the change. Uh, before the show, every time you know we'd, we'd wrap up our warm up and then we'd go around high five each other and say good show, good show, good show. And at some point we switched to fun show. And I honestly think as a team, once we made that mental shift to let's have fun versus let's be good, our shows became better. And I think we've had a streak of really good shows before, but I think today we kind of lost a little bit of that fun show vibe and focused on being good. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of times when we have fun, you, you are good. And, and I know for myself, I got in my head a little bit going, oh my God, they're quiet. And I should have just focused on, man, uh, Tim is being a blueberry character rolling on the ground or, you know, someone's doing this or this or this. And just remember that, like, I'm on stage with my friends. Those guys are funny. Those girls are funny. It's, it's awesome. So, you bring up a good point about fun show and then the fact that what we're doing is transporting the audience. We're taking them along on a ride. It's got to be fun for us. It's got to be interesting for us. And they will jump in with us. The instant we start to struggle and we doubt ourselves is part of when we start losing the audience. If we're not having fun, how dare we expect the audience to have fun? Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I'll tell you right now, I, I am one of those people that struggles every show. After the show, I'm, I'm basically in my head thinking about what else I could have done, what could have gone better, what did I say that could have been funnier if I had said it differently or if I had said something else, or did I do any denials? Did I, like, I'm always negating the positive aspect of my performance. Sure. But it's, it's well, I think, a struggle that we all go through. Yeah, I think, I mean... Yes and no, because I think that's the thing I like a lot about improv and why I don't do any other kind of performance art. Like, I don't act. I got Interpretive this. dance. I definitely don't sing for everybody's sake. But dancing. But you show up and you make it happen, and we reflect with notes, and then you can kind of just, like, wipe our hands of it and let go. Right? Like, I think, you know, the, the Monday morning quarterbacking, I think, is good only for a certain point. But if you get, ironically, if you analyze... If you get in your head about why you're getting in your own head, it's this death spiral. <laughs> yep. That doesn't allow you to kind of get out of it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. I was thinking, like, what signal could we give each other or, like, during the show when we know we're kind of spiraling mm-hmm. to be like, okay, everybody just, like, take a breath and breathe and just, like, let, up, let the show up to that point go and kind of start anew so that we don't take the baggage from game one into game two into game three, if that baggage is not good. We basically need a a non-verbal visual reset signal. We need an improv safe word. I I think one thing that we can do with that is just a radical shift in the energy and what we're doing. And, you know, it's literally the opposite of what we did in the montage today because we went, all right, Willy Wonka scene, it had a lot of legs. Um, We didn't quite get it to click, but it wasn't a terrible scene. It was a decent scene, had a decent premise of, you know, there's people aren't buying Wonka bars and we need to find a new way to sell stuff. And one person thinks that we need to force the kids to eat candy. Another one wants to shift to fruit. And then Wonka's concerned about health concerns. Like, there's a lot of dynamic of, like, what's the future of Willy Wonka? It's in a tenuous situation. But then we went down this... Wonka avalanche where we just kind of kept doubling down on it and it wasn't working and then we doubled down again to decide to just redo the actual story from Willy Wonka but if somebody had come out and, and you know next scene after the first one gone oh I'm a pig farmer and we're doing uh, wrestling for pigs or just something sure. crazy it would have been such a radical shift that everyone I think would have been perked up in like fresh air yeah it's like I 
the way that you're describing it makes me think of this one performance art that I heard about somewhere. Basically, some guy stood on stage for like 15, 20 minutes in absolute silence, doing and saying nothing. Then he got up, moved a chair, and then left the stage. And the fact that there was action after 15, 20 minutes of absolutely nothing, it's one of those like, oh, that brings the audience in, like, oh, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? The anticipation shifts, it, it, it builds, and, and it makes them want to react. And I think that's what you're talking about, shifting the energy. I'm, I'm very curious about this performance art where you paid to watch someone sit there. Was it free? I heard, oh, I heard about it. Oh, you heard about it, okay, so, so the guy sat in a chair and didn't say anything. For 15 minutes. For 15 minutes, and then moved the chair, and then that was his performance. Yeah. Dude, we should become artists. <laughs> yeah, I, I could do. I mean, that's I like I do nothing for a lot of money. Yeah, I, I do nothing for free right now. I would gladly take a lot of money. Sucker. I, I mean, you know, that's like me going to my garage, getting a canvas, and drawing a red line on it, and then trying to. Uh, where that where, would sell. That would sell. Where was this? I don't remember, dude. I heard about this a long time ago. Well, I think it, what it, what I got from that is that people, whether we're whether you're on stage, whether in the audience, whether it's in life, people do want to like you. Yeah. People want to, like, be with you. They want to, like, be invested in you. But you have to give them a reason, right? They're not just going to give you their undivided attention or laugh. Or, but they'll or, give you the benefit of the doubt. They will, absolutely. Yeah. But you have to, you know, they, they have to trust you in a bit. And I think tonight we lost the audience's trust because we didn't trust in ourselves. I mean, they, they come to the show. They pay the admission price. They're not sitting there going, I hope this was a waste of money. <laughs> they're, they're sitting there going, I, you know, I really hope that they make my hour and a half, 45 hour. minutes. Today was a, today. an hour, yeah. Today was a short show. Um, they, they hope it's worth it. And, and, I think, and I think it was for the first half. <laughs> um, all 10 minutes of it. All 10 minutes. I, I just think that it's... I don't know. I, I think it's really easy to get... As much as improv, like we all did, you took level. You took all the workshops at, at National Comedy Theater, right? Uh, most, I'm sure they have like the musical one. I never took. No, but, but you I took, took one, two, three. One, three right? Yeah. Did you do two, Christian? One, right. two, three, four. Okay. Because the nice thing I like about level one is that what they focus on is not a, not about being funny. Funny is the last thing. The level one is all about getting out of your own head. Yep. yep. How do you not? think as much and then act more, which I love. Um, and I think more of us as a whole should practice just in our neighborday lives. And I think tonight, sometimes on stage, we try to out, we try to outsmart ourselves. Yep. And we try to be funny. And we try to be witty. And we just, we get away from, I think, a little bit of humanity. We try to make, we like increase the level of difficulty to a point where we can't surpass it. And... It loses the audience. So it sounds like what you're saying is uh, one of those notes that, that Matt gave again tonight. So going for the joke. Don't go for the joke. Just let the funny happen. Sure. And we get into our heads when we realize that there may not be a joke well, readily available. Yeah. And, and, and if you go for the joke, you forget to go for the scene. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was in the game Questions where it's a game where you, all you have to do is ask questions. And if you make a, a statement that's not an interrogative statement, uh, then you, you're not fulfilling the game. And normally it's played as an elimination style. So if you ask a que- if you forget, fail to ask a question, you get kicked out of the game. And so we were playing the game of like, I'm going to ask a question, I'm not going to be the guy to lose. Halfway through the scene, I think all three of us on stage 
me, James, and Al realized none of us are getting eliminated. We actually have to do a scene. This isn't about like winning. And so at that point, and we're like, crab apples. at that point, we're like, you know, we actually have to have our questions move the plot along. What's the relationship? And, and in, you know, in my case, I, I saw James come out and I saw Al come out and they were kind of having a confrontation. And I realized five minutes into the game, I don't know who I am in a relation to James. Yeah. So I just threw out, you know, hey, we're on a date. Are you trying to out macho the other guy? And God, I wish I had done that in the first 30 seconds because that would have built something to talk about other than, haha, we're playing mini golf together and we're just asking questions about what color the ball is. Yeah. Uh, but even with that, though, you got the what color the ball is, are you colorblind bit, yeah. which worked because statistically speaking, men tend to be colorblind more than women do, and it's an actual problem. But that played into the joke of are you number blind? So sometimes jokes do happen. Sure, I think the one-off ones do, but they're not. And what I have learned is that it's not sustainable. It's not. Yeah. Right. Like it's not. It's not. An, it's not an ending game. It's not a pun game. It's not. You know. It's not a punchline game. Like really, all these games are relationship games. How do? How can we explore the dynamic of this relationship between this first date? This. You know, on the surface, it's funny because Al played a professional mini golf player, which is funny in itself. But how does that affect the masculinity of the man, uh, the attractiveness of the woman? But we never, like Steve said, like, we never really got there because I think partially because the the game itself is hard. Questions is yeah. a hard game. But I, I think, and one thing that I've tried to be better at is how to be a better actor. Like, let's not even worry about being funny. Because um, it just, it, again, it's, it's too difficult. Like, the funny comes in the tension and the realness and the, and the relationships. Yeah, and the honesty. Yeah. People are, are really funny if you just watch them. Sure. But you just want to watch someone be a real person. You, if you're a one-dimensional, barely a character of someone, yeah. like a stick figure of a real person, it's not interesting. Yeah. yeah. And... and touching base on, on what you're saying about acting and and getting to where real character there's there's a few foundational questions that you gotta ask at the beginning of every scene and this is something I picked up from one of my acting classes it's who am I where am I who is who am I with in the scene and how do I feel about that person basically and that will establish exactly or like who we are to each other that will establish exactly what that scene is going to be about in the about about sense sure and I think if, if both players are in that mindset while they're discovering it it's going to play well well let me ask you guys this then uh in any scenes today, if, if any, which of you think had the best character and relationship development? Well, I, <laughs> we talked about this earlier, Steve, before we started recording about like how, albeit relationships are a long-term play, uh-huh. right? But this, the, a lot of the games that we play are, I mean, they're literally called short form. Yep. And so we have to, and Matt talked about this a couple weeks ago about developing a backstory for your character before even starting a scene and kind of fast-forwarding through all that development to get to a point, to get to a relationship, motivation, etc. And I think that's kind of the, the hard part about improv is that you have to you develop a character before you even open your mouth. Yeah. And so 
not say that you're, you know, I didn't answer your question, obviously. Um, but I think it's just, it's hard, you know, it's something I would like to work on. I think as a team we need to work on is about, okay, how do we come already established? Yeah. Because I think we, you know, sometimes you, you know, improv is about on the spot thinking, right? And not premeditation. But, and so we try to, we, we try to come in almost completely a blank slate. And I think that can only be instrumental because you're not, you're trying to paint the picture. You know, what is, what's the metaphor, like the metaphor, like it's like you're trying to land a plane while you're building it kind of thing. That's, that's a pretty crappy position to be in. It is. It so is. It, I think the exercise that we did today helps in establishing characters a little bit stronger. And for those listening, what we did in rehearsal today was uh, imitate Make each other. Make fun of each other for an hour and a half. Imitate each other. Yeah, that was, that was uh, interesting. Well, we can say made fun of each other, but I will take it in what it was meant to be. Sure. We were yeah. supposed to watch someone, analyze who they were in terms of speech, cadence, uh, stance, uh, mannerisms, everything, and be able to imitate them in some sort of uh, way that's either true to reality or slightly exaggerated yeah. for and the it, sake of team dynamic. And I think a lot of us took it as, how do we roast the person when... You know, reflecting on it, maybe it was more of uh, a mannequin style where, you know, the person is endowing themselves as, as themselves. And we say, OK, how does how does this person as themselves inspire us to be a character? And I think we know each other well enough to at least have some sort of understanding of like, oh, this is who this person is. It's an established character already. So that we had to build a character, so to speak, in a matter of seconds. Yeah. And then that person would take on all of the endowments that they were given by all the other players and then be that exaggerated self, yeah. knowing full well how to break away from who they are and elevate it. And I think that helps in terms of getting that mindset to think characters quickly. And if anything, that mixed with all the other exercises we've done of like stance and speech and body position and everything else can really help establish that and that'll give you backstory in and of itself if you think about the hunchback of Notre Dame for example you walk in with a hunchback you know how you're going to talk you know the type of speech patterns that you're going to have you know uh, what your backstory might be just by a stance yeah one of the things and I think Matt mentioned this a little while ago and it's been in some podcasts I've listened to is the other thing about character that what really gives the character depth and dimension is what is that person? What is that character's motivation? And yeah. you can go out and be like, I've got a Scottish accent, yeah. um, and like, okay, cool, you've got a, like a cute little accent, but what so you what? Want? You know, then you're just you're still the same person with a Scottish accent, and that's interesting. It's kind of like going for the joke right off the bat. But if you go, what does this person want out of this scene, right? In the in the Willy Wonka scene where you know you were advocating, uh, Colby, you were advocating for fruit to be the new Wonka thing, and Andre was panicking about the health. You know, negative health benefits of candy, and I was kind of the, you know, the guy like, I'm, you know, we're just forced kids to eat our candy. You know, what did we all want? And I think if we explored the fact that Wonka wants to make sure that his empire doesn't hurt children, and maybe Colby, your character, was trying to overtake Wonka's business and kind of be the new, like, CEO of Wonkaville, and maybe I was just, like, kind of this, um, you know, Wonka worshiper who just wanted to Wonka to stay on his throne. If we explored those three motives, that really could have developed into a really interesting, probably long-form, hour-long set. Sure. Sure, I think it's just, 
I mean, that's the thing. That's why I've been, what we're doing lately in practice is about motivation. Like, yeah. It's really been, I told Matt, it's like, we haven't been doing improv class the last month. We've been doing an acting class. Because I think we all are naturally funny and we're like good on our feet, but we may not be good at like embodying a character or like understanding what it is like to be somebody else wholly, like in a scene. So what you're describing sounds very much like method acting. And if you're going to study some method acting, I'd recommend reading up on Stanislavski, reading a couple of books from Stella Adler. It's very much about not just developing a character, but building that character's third dimension. So go through everything. Build a backstory. Uh, what, what I would do in my acting class was we'd, for characters we would develop in a longer type of exercise that would last for about a month or so, we would create a notebook, a character notebook. Okay. And every single thought about that character, like, oh, they hate pizza. I love pizza. The character hates pizza just because that's the decision I made. You write that down and put that in there. No, their favorite pet. It may never come up in the scene that you're working on or in the story, but that is a reality for that character. And because you've written it, you've read it, you've thought about it, you've created it, it's now your reality as that character, even though it may not play into the initial motivation for a scene or for, or for a project. So how, how has that practice helped you in a short-form improv environment? So for me, it's the exercises that I've done in that acting class are very much, here's a scene, that's your scene partner, you've got five minutes, come back and do the scene. So in that five-minute time, I've had to discuss those questions that I mentioned earlier about who we are to each other, where we are, everything else, with my scene partner, and determine what the motivation is for the scene because we read through it, and determine what I'm trying to get out, what kind of secrets I have, what I want from the other person, and what I don't want to give up for the other person sort of thing in the scene. So I think it helped me to learn how to build those characters quickly in such a way where I can showcase it in class uh, soon thereafter. I mean, I like that. I think the thing that I struggle with, and I think we all struggle with too, is that how to, how to be a team player but also make strong choices. Uh, yes. <laughs> we, uh, we, we were talking about this earlier, actually, um, not to beat a dead horse with the Willy Wonka scene, but one of the things that we think we struggle with is all three characters came in with pretty decent ideas, you know, me, you, and Andrea. And then once we realized that we all had th- three different ideas, I think the three of us, each of us, decided, oh, you know what, I, I don't want to steamroll the scene. Yeah. I'll defer to the other idea. Yeah. But then we realized, well, there's two other ideas, and if the three of us all defer, then none of the three ideas take root, and it just kind of was like a beach ball that people were tossing around at a concert. The, uh, the, the analogy I used, I think it might have been level three. So a Mexican standoff is when there's more than two people in a room and they're pointing guns at each other, right? Yep. It's a Mexican standoff. Yeah, I, I, just, I never do the more than two people thing. Okay, yeah. yeah but so <laughs> what we, I think, have gotten to is more of a Canadian standoff, and how I envision that is um, there are two people opening two different doors, letting the other one through. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. Sorry about that, eh? Yeah. And so, and instead of somebody saying this, being like, okay, thank you, I appreciate it, I will go. We always try to lay the red carpet out for the person, but as we do that, nobody actually walks. Nobody takes the initiative. Yeah, it, so, yeah. It, it's like two people holding the door for each other. No, you first. No, you first. Yeah. And then someone go. It's it's a door. Just walk through it. It's fine. Yeah. And I think it's. I mean, it's a testament to us where 
I think it's we respect each other enough that we want to like see what the other person has to say, and we're, yep. we're trusting the other person to say, okay, you go take this, and I'll run with you. But if we both say, you take this simultaneously, you take this, I'll go with you. But nobody goes. That's an improv hot potato. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, improv hot potato is definitely one of those struggles that we have as a team. I think everyone, because we get along so well, we really are more of a family uh, as far as the team is concerned. We're not just, you know, oh, people I have to see every Sunday. It's people I get to see sure. every Sunday. And I think that is what helps us be so nice. <laughs> but because of that, we do fall into that trap of potentially giving up the idea for the sake of not wanting to be... An a-hole. So, so what I'm saying, what I'm hearing is that you, we need more divas on the team. I think Tim's enough. Uh, oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wow. Oh, I, I do I, not endorse that statement. I was I kidding. <laughs> he he played Rihanna today. Rihanna's a diva. I'm sorry. It's just so I think it's an interesting thing about because I I like improv because it allows me to enhance the rest of my non-improv life a lot. Um, so I'm just curious, like, how does that, how does that dynamic, how does that leader versus follower dynamic that we get into in every scene that we're ever in, how is, since doing improv, starting, I think for me it's been four years, how long for you, Stu? Uh, about four years, too. Four years? Three years on Sunco, four years overall. Okay. Uh, I started level one in 2010. Okay, so seven oh, wow. years. Uh, and that was, no, that's at NCT. I had done improv in college. Okay, cool. So oh, a long, nice. long time. So how has, I mean, I'm just curious how improv has made you guys more impactful, dynamic, comfortable in life off stage. I am a lot more comfortable just spitting something out at work, knowing that if it's not received well, I can just work my way out of it. And for me, it's been, I was always very serious growing up, and to the point where, like, old family friends that we hadn't seen in a decade or so, when they came for a wedding, uh, another friend of ours or whatever, like, the parents would ask me, like, we thought you'd be in politics by now, being some sort of, like, senator or politician. What the hell are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing improv, I'm working as an engineer and all this other stuff. Like, that is totally not where we saw you. So it has allowed me to kind of branch out and shift my personality and be more accepting of things that just get thrown in for no reason that you didn't expect. You, you go or you learn to live life a little bit easier. Or, uh, okay. Well, uh, go with the flow, if you will. I'll say this, too. Um, I probably wouldn't have met my wife if not for improv. Really? Okay. Was, she, was she at our show and she came up? No, no, we, we, uh, we bumped into each other outside. And um, from improv, I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to throw something out there. And if it gets yes and it, I'll go with it. And so I made some stupid comment about the band that was playing. And she liked it and engaged. And I was like, hey, that's a yes and. And we started talking. And then as I had to leave, uh, it was actually Dan's bachelor party. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it, I smelled like fish. We had gone deep sea fishing that day. <laughs> But as we were about to leave, I was like, oh, you know, I want to I wanna get this girl's number. Um, and as I was saying, hey, can I get your, I was like, uh, you know, getting asking for a phone number is very, you know, trite. It's very stereotypical. Let me see something different. Can I get your address? But then right as I was about to say address, warning lights went off like, that's creepy as hell. Don't ask for someone's address because you might, you know, uh, break in and do something sure. weird. And so instead, I went to P.O. Box. And I was like, can I get your P.O. Box? Let me write you a postcard, which is still really, really weird. 
But when she was a, a little girl back in the Philippines, her father had uh, gone to Saudi Arabia to work overseas. Okay. And the way that they communicated was via letters and postcards. So when I said, can I get your P.O. box? I want to send you a postcard. It set off alarm bells in her mind going, oh, that's sweet. Like, my idea of romance is writing letters to people. And so just that idea of, hey, I'm going to throw this out there. And if it gets yes ended, awesome. And if not, I'll wipe the scene. Like, it, it ended up working out. And that's, that's pretty much the approach I took. And, I've never uh, heard that story before. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's uh, awesome. I'm glad it, asking for someone's address at a bar is really creepy. Oops, sorry. sorry. I just knocked over all the podcast equipment. Yeah. Um, uh, but that is an awesome story. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Well, I think, You're I think now married. Kind of what you both said is just like, and what I like about improv too is that risks don't feel as big as they used to. But like with you and your wife, yeah. with you and that woman that evolved uh, yeah, in she, your wife, and my wife, wife partner. Um, it was you didn't you just went with it you didn't psych yourself out you didn't overthink it you just kind of went with it and said if it screws up so be it and I'll have a funny story to tell people so I'll have fun whatever <laughs> and I think that's some. I mean something that I do too is that you don't you don't take things so seriously and so permanent yeah because um, I think when I used to do that it, it prevented me from having experiences that I would have otherwise benefited from meeting people that I would have never met previously um, and that's the thing that, you know, that's why I push improv, at least the principles of improv on the people that I care about in my life, because I think it just allows you to be more, you know, as Courtney just sounds like, more free. It's a, it's a self-confidence thing. You're like, you think about it, you're like, I've made a lot of stupid decisions in my life, and I'm still here and doing okay. Sure. So if I say the wrong thing uh, to a girl I meet at a bar, or if I, you know, don't word an email to my boss correctly, like... I'll, I'll be fine. Like, sure. I can just roll with it. And I think you guys have experienced that benefit already. I'm still in the mindset of I can't transition everything to my personal life. So I don't experience that benefit. I don't I, I don't meet a girl at a bar and ask for a P.O. box because Well, that, I mean, weird. it's weird. Like, I'm not advocating that. That's a right, really right. weird and thing to say. It's a very weird and unique thing that worked for you and her, and that's great. But in general, I'm just generalizing that, yeah. that example. Like, I don't typically do that. I don't go and... I'm not an extrovert enough to want to go talk to strangers and that's just my only issue but I think no what Steve did is not a formula right Right. we don't advocate you going up to strangers and asking for a visit my website for the formula that I'm meeting your wife at a bar (laughs) but I think it the best practices demonstrated in there I think are sound right like just really who the hell cares I think that's the big thing there were two outcomes there was one I'll have an interesting conversation with someone who matches my sense of humor or two I will completely bomb out and have a great story to tell Dan and everyone else the next day dude I said this to someone at the bar (laughs) and it blew up in my face and I I agree with you guys it's just I think it's me more just my personality I am very much an introvert and shy when it comes to other people if it has to do with work if it has to do with school if it has to do with like team and improv I am outgoing because I need to be yeah. and it just fits but in my personal life outside of that I'm very much uh, reserved and not really an outgoing person no I'm with you I I got a haircut today and then the person was I like I can tell it looks really nice thank too. you guys I went to Great Clips it was $18 and uh, it was a great <laughs> it was a great clip, clip. Um, but yeah you know and the guy starts talking but how's it how's your day going I just I just want to go like I don't want to spend my whole day getting my haircut, dude. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> Leave me alone. And maybe I'm kind of a jerk for feeling that way, but I kind of get it. Like, I don't want to talk to every person I see. It's exhausting. Sure. Yeah. I agree. Sure. 
Although, I'm, if I'm getting a haircut, I usually do continue the conversation with whoever's cutting my well, hair. Because he's got they're... scissors by your face. Fair enough. Yes, yes, and my face doesn't need any more cuts. Dude, that reminds me. I think, so I had the best, I had the best Uber ride yesterday. <laughs> the best. Because I ordered a pool from my house to downtown and hang out with some friends. Uh, and it was relatively cheap for like a Saturday evening. And best part, we get uh, the whole trip. Don't get another call, so I'm take a solo trip for the yeah. price of one for the price of a pool. But also, the guy just doesn't talk, and I really wasn't in a mood to talk. Yeah, I'm like, this is great. And I'm just like, why doesn't Uber have like a like a mute option? <laughs> like, dear driver, just get me where I need to go quickly, safely, and quietly. You know, it's funny because. I, so for whatever reason, in Ubers, I've always felt compelled to talk, and I realize I do the same thing every time. Hey, how oh, long have you been? How long have you been Ubering for? Uber. Oh, why'd you make Uber over Lyft? Oh, you do both. That's interesting. That's a great economic choice. Oh, any any weird stories? Oh, oh, someone threw up in the back of your car. How fascinating! <laughs> every single conversation I've ever had, except for one guy, who I guess had immigrated somewhere from the Middle East, and this was um, it was a a ride I took at like four o'clock in the morning to get to the airport for a super early flight. And he was like, yeah, I, you know, I bought a Prius and I ran out, I ran it out for like 100,000 miles and I drive like 100,000 miles a year and I've got like seven brake pads, but it's still the same thing. I was like, there's, there's a birthday going on. Is it just and so that's how I joined NASA. <laughs> is it just me or is that guy with the baseball cap kind of look like Michael Sheen? Like who? Michael who? Michael Sheen. The guy uh, from the uh, guy with the hat over there on on the table. Michael Sheen. You mean the guy? Michael Sheen the, is. Uh, he's the guy from Kate Beckinsale's uh, ex-husband. Uh, yeah, he's from I, the Queen. Dude. He was in Twilight. I, I've never seen. Any he's Twilight Liz Lemon's movies. like odd boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I can do that. I can do that. Cool. But this is an audio medium. We yeah, no, 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 about no. So he looks like uh, Edward. Cull- uh, no, and not Edward Cullen. Someone else. Some other. He looks like Tracy Morgan. <laughs> yeah, um. Totally. So this is an audio medium, but that joke was brought to you by, or inspired by, uh, Mitch Hedberg. On one of his CDs, one of his specials, he actually did a joke where he's like, I'm going to do a bunch of jokes that it's going to piss people off because they require visual aids. Like, oh, dude, look at that shirt. It's awesome. People are going to look inside the CD and get really pissed. So, sorry. That was, that was a tangent there. <laughs> I liked his escalator thing. But how escalators can't be out of order, they just become stairs. Sorry for the convenience. Yeah. I, <laughs> I approve of that approach. Man, Uber drivers, you talk about the same thing every time, and I feel bad. Well, I mean, you can always change it up. Be like, oh, you're from the Middle East. How many uh, how many years did it take you to come over? And like oh. that sort of thing, right? And yeah, they get political really quickly, though. Well, not necessarily. Cause and that's sometimes just I just want them to, to be quiet. Well, at least with an Uber, like, your relationship has a definite end. Yes. Right? Not if the guy takes ever, the wrong turn. Like you ever my have Uber a weird, do. like, Airbnb host? What? Okay, define weird. Just like somebody who you wouldn't choose to be with more than you have to. Who has the key to the place you're staying and knows every inch of your room? <laughs> have you experienced this before, Steve? No, Kobe's the one that brought it up. I just want to know, why are you a weird Airbnb host? I mean, I, I, it's just interesting because, like, if you think about the quote-unquote gig economy, right? Yeah. It is batshit crazy. 
here, get into this stranger's car. Here, stay in this stranger's apartment or home. And I've done, I've done, I've done both. Yeah. Right. But my most awkward moment, I was in Tampa for a wedding, and uh, this lady lived in the good economy. She was an Airbnb driver, an Airbnb host, and an Uber driver. That's all she does. That was her full time job. Until I found out when I got there, and she also was a multi-level marketing uh, member. So I was asked if I took uh, uh, Avon or if I wanted to sell cell phone and cable TV packages. Nice. Yeah. It was a very cheap apartment, so I kind of t- it was like a it was like a um, uh, like a timeshare presentation. How many body wraps did you buy? It oh, works. Well, it works. I mean, look at me. Uh, none of you can see this, but I look amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Seriously. Like like the Rock, basically. Oh, you said <laughs> you said The Rock. The Rock, and I, I just went straight to that Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery <laughs> movie. Yeah, no, he no. I look like Col- Colby looks like uh, not, not Shelter Island. Like Shelter Island. Shelter Island is um, the Leonardo DiCaprio, DiCaprio movie. movie. I'm, I'm doing lo- they're doing lobotomies in the light. Alert. Who's not schizophrenic? He's in that. Don't they leave it open-ended? He spins the top. Uh, so oh. I think Shelter Island and I thought it was Inception the one, are the same movie. I thought it was the one where they, he was on that ship that sank. Yeah, no, it was that one. That was it was that one. one. That one had the tops. Yeah. 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 It was real weird when that bear got on that ship, though. <laughs> got attacked him. And, and then he went to Versailles and released his uh, brother from prison who was wearing an iron mask. And then, by the way, and then, and then I, I he loved the basketball. Yeah, I, I, I literally saw the Man of the Iron Mask on Saturday, so I'm so proud to be able to make this reference. So, I, I think I've, that's the one where he plays two characters, right? He, well, well yeah, he, plays, I mean, he plays twins, yeah. so it's, you okay. know, it's like Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap. It is not like Dr. Doolittle. Which one? The original oh, wait, Jerry Lewis one, no, R.I.P. or I'm Eddie Murphy? No, Nutty Professor. Nutty Professor, thank you. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Hercules, Hercules. Oh, yeah, you're thinking of a new Nutty Professor. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Nutty Professor was Jerry Lewis, and then it became okay. Eddie So uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Just, oh, he died today. Uh, so we, uh, on Netflix, re- I think it's recently, uh, Tropic Thunder came up. Yeah. I've never seen that. Oh, it's oh, so good. Dude, okay, so spoiler alert. We watched it with a bunch of buddies about a month ago. and in the, in was, the that, was that in the movie? That was the spoiler? No, no. In the oh. beginning of the movie, there is a series of trailers that occur in <laughs> character for each one of the main characters. Uh-huh. And a buddy of mine <laughs> watches it and says, with a straight face, God, you have to be real stupid to go see that movie. And it just is like, oh, no, dude, this is part of the thing. Like, Oh, boy. Should we tell him, guys? <laughs> it's, it's a great movie. I highly recommend you actually watch it. Okay. Uh, you know, I never knew much about Robert Downey Jr., but after seeing him in Iron Man... Uh, and loving his character there, and then seeing him in The Judge and being freaked out by his character there. Oh, I never saw That was the one with uh, so, uh, Robert Redford. It was a little... It, Robert Redford. Um, I'll give you a, a quick summary. Are you going to... You know, whatever, I'll tell you. So his dad's a judge, and he's this old, like, old-school judge, but he's also going through dementia. And oh. so um, he, he returns to town and tries to, like, you know, help out his dad, but also does a court case, and he meets up with the girl at a bar, and they end up making out later finds out the girl at the bar is actually his daughter which he never knew about what that's the plot of the movie well no it's not the plot of the movie but it's a thing that they kind of like if you piece it together like he made out with his daughter that's really weird and I don't they could have just it was no relevance to the plot 
Uh, but it was just it, it, it may not have been relevant to the plot, but it was definitely relevant to the character. Uh, yes, because he was this just uh, playboy who just wanted to get with anybody. Um, and it was his daughter. It sounds like I need to watch that movie again because I don't remember that being his daughter <laughs> you don't? at all. I, I, mm, okay. I, I'm glad. Uh, Are you projecting, Steve? No, it, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, that's good that you want to watch it again. Uh, well, I, I need to watch it because I don't remember that being the case. I, may, I mean, I, again, mm. I, don't, I don't remember very much of that movie. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen it. But I'm assuming that doesn't happen in Tropic Thunder, so I'll give it no, a No, no, it does not happen in Tropic Thunder. Good. But you will also have one of those commercials before the movie starts all about ass juice. Or what was that called? The, uh, the soda can, the soda thing that the, the rapper does? Booty juice. Booty juice, that's I the saw, I knew that. That was way too at the top of my tongue. Yeah. The things I commit... <laughs> to memory. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a steel trap you've got there. It is, it is. Well, I hope all of you enjoyed uh, our fan cast today about Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Clowning with Downey, and we'll be back next week. Yeah, tune in we'll, next week, Robert Downey we'll, Sr. We're, 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 oh, we'll review, uh, uh, I don't know, what else was he in? Uh, the Outsiders? He was in The Outsiders. Was he in The Outsiders? He was. I think everybody... The thing is, I think if Everyone, you were an actor and you were under 20 and you were alive in the 80s, you, you were, had, you were legally required to be in The Both outsiders. Corey Haim and Corey Feldman were probably in it. I'm just All the Corys. All the Corys. Corey from Sunco Corey, was in it. Corey, um... Uh, the one from The Boy Meets World. Corey from Boy Meets World. Oh, yeah. Corey probably. Matthews. Corey Ma- yeah, like Corey Matthews. Um, Corey Nato. Uh, uh, man who Coronado's named after. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the show. This has been Christian with Colby and Steve signing off for the week. I'll catch you all next week. Thanks again. Adequate. This has been Adequate, the Sunday Company After Show, live from the Regal Beagle. Thanks for listening. 